Friends, if you have a Bible, if you'd please grab it and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. It's also on page 11 of your bulletin. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians is the book about the joy of the Christian gospel. It's about the joy that we have as believers in Christ. And Paul gets to chapter 3. He gives his resume. And right after he gives his resume, he says what you're about to hear from Maggie. A reading from Philippians. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, would you take your holy word? It is inerrant. It is inspired. It is beautiful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And would you pierce through the self-righteousness that each of us have, the shells, that we create to protect ourselves, And would you, Holy Spirit, surprise us by your love in the moments, the few moments that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Lauren and I have four kids, three boys and a girl, three jagged stones and a pearl, we like to say around our house. And the other night, uh, I was tucking my little girl in, and it just, it, it, it dawned on me, like, like I'm terrified for my daughter. <laughs> I'm, because it's hard, it's hard to be a girl in culture today, isn't it? It's hard. All of the movies, all of the romance novels, all the things that culture says, especially in the media about women, how derogatory it is about the way they must look, like it's hard, isn't it? It's like, like she, she's very young. But even now, her friends or her peers will say things like, um, like one day, you know, I will be loved and it will, it will make me feel so great. He'll make me feel great. Because they pick it up on the sitcoms and the TV shows. Or I will be so loved because I look pretty. What happens when you don't feel loved? What happens when you don't feel or look pretty anymore? Or I, it's so good to be—it's so good to be loved because um, I can perform for the world, and the world will just adore me. Well, what happens to the day that you lose your ability to perform? Like it terrifies me, seriously, as a dad of a young child, a young girl. It terrifies me. And so every night when I tuck her into bed, I always say, hey, Annie, I love you. And she often says, okay, always says, I love you too, Daddy. And then a thought occurred to me, does she know why I love her? Honey, do you know why I love you? 
And I can see her mind racing. I can see her thinking, well, I, you know, you love me because like, like we do fun things together. And you love me because I like do my chores. And she doesn't really know how to answer that question. So she doesn't answer. I can see her wheels turning, but she doesn't really know how to answer that question. And so I take her little face in my hands and I hold her face and I see in those adorable little eyes. I look at her and I say, honey, I love you because you're mine. Isn't it good to be loved just because you're someone's? You don't perform for them. Such is the love of God for his people. In this passage that Maggie read for us, you see in this passage two very, very quick things we're gonna look at. You see the power of his love and you see the fruit of his power. It is nice, isn't it, when someone loves you simply because you are theirs. The power of his love and the fruit of his power. Look at your bulletin, lower your eyes to the text in Philippians chapter three. Look at verse seven. Paul says in verse seven, but whatever I had gained, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Gains, loss, Credits, debits, what does that immediately make you think of? If, if, when I read this passage, I just think about my college accounting course, which I did not like. But the whole part of accounting, you remember, is about credits and debits. And here, Paul is giving you gospel accounting. He's giving you the credits and the debits. And he says in verse 7, But whatever credit I had, I counted it as a debit for the sake of this credit. And what is that credit? Listen, most of us, even if we profess Christianity, most of us still functionally believe in a kind of therapeutic moral deism. That means that if, we, if our good deeds outweigh our bad on the scales of moral performance in the end, then if our good deeds outweigh our bads, then we will have a profit or we will have a credit. Or when God finds us at the end of time, when we die and we appear before him, we will be, to use accounting language, in the black. But what Paul says here is that the gospel accounting works completely different than that. Paul lays out his resume very clearly in, Romans, in, in Philippians 3, 1 to 6. And what does he say? He says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was the top of the class. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born into the right family. As to the law, blameless. Valedictorian. Religious, religion 101. Made an A plus, sat in the front of the row, became the teacher's pet. And Paul says, I count all of these credits to my account and all of this moral performance that I had earned over time and I took them and I wrote loss over every one of them. And I took Christ being found in him and I saw that and in my gospel accounting worksheet I wrote gain. Paul's point 
is that no matter how good you are, and there are some pretty good people in this room, some amazing people for the glory and the good of Owasso and Bartlesville and Tulsa. No matter how good you are, being a good person and not knowing Jesus is, it's kind of like if you owe an infinite debt to the bank, it's infinite. And you make two nickels worth of profit. And you go and in your excitement, you go and you find those two nickels. And you run to the bank and you say, bank, 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 here's my payment for my debt. And you rub those two nickels together. And your payment is infinite. Isn't that silly? But yet we do that all the time. We do that all the time. And I do it too and I need to hear the gospel again and have it preached to my heart again that Jesus does not love me because of my performance. He loves me because I'm his. Do you believe that? Isn't it great when someone loves you just because you're theirs? That is the power of his love. It is powerful because it can reverse and your accountants know this, it can reverse even the fundamental principles of accounting. That's powerful. And the way the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ works is that it pierces our self-righteousness because Paul says, right after he says in verse seven, he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. I count them as rubbish in Greek, as scubula, as garbage, as dung, as trash. All the accolades against the white hot glory and holiness of Jesus burn up and all that I have are my dirty filthy rags and Jesus says you're mine because he opens our heart to believe that Jesus Christ was the one who lived the life that we could not live and he died the death we should have died that is the beauty of the gospel it is called the imputation of Jesus Christ's righteousness for you. That when you trust in Christ, your sins are forgiven, but you don't start off at scratch, at zero, at the baseline. Oh no, you are raised to infinite heights because you are covered with the glory and righteousness of King Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? But yet we fight the prevailing lusts of our flesh all the time. And in the resurrection, we have this beautiful picture of how our self-righteousness is pierced and our credits become our liabilities. And what we think is a liability, oh, Jesus and his righteousness alone becomes the greatest credit to us. Listen, we fight for this kind of um, shell of a persona all the time. We, we fight tenaciously to create it and to sustain it. Years ago, I went back for one of my high school graduations and I saw this friend of mine who I lost touch with. His name is RJ and I went up to RJ and I said, RJ, it is so good to see you. How have you been? And he said, excuse me, Blake, my name's not RJ anymore. My name is Reginald. And I'm a very high profile, very powerful attorney in Dallas. Have you heard of me? Well, of course, I know you from high school. No, have you heard? I haven't heard of your firm, Reginald. Oh. Well, are you, are you with your family, Reginald? Who are you with? Oh, no, yeah, you'll, you'll see, you'll see. My, I'm with my girlfriend. You'll know her when you see her. Okay, great. I look forward to meeting her. 
And sure enough, that night, there she was. She walks into the room. She wasn't wearing what I thought was very appropriate attire. And um, there she is, Reginald's girlfriend. And, and Reginald is just fighting to introduce everybody to his, to his girlfriend that he had met in Dallas. And he's telling everybody about his great law firm. And it was wonderful to see him succeed. And it was wonderful to, to meet, you know, to see this friend after many years of being away. And then as the night went on, Reginald began to talk with me more and more about his relationship with Jesus because he was a Christian when we were in high school together. And indeed, once you're a Christian, in fact, you still are. But Reginald hadn't been to church in years and had fallen away from the faith. And he came to tell me that, Blake, I need, to, I need to tell you something. I changed my name Reginald because I'm really ashamed. I use my first name now because I'm just embarrassed of what I was in high school. And I'm embarrassed after all these years that I really don't have that much to show for my life. I'm, I'm an attorney, but I barely made it through law school and my firm struggles. And I met my girlfriend um, on a website and I paid her money to come and pose as my girlfriend tonight because I wanted all my classmates to know how much I'd made it. She's not my girlfriend. I met her three hours ago. And RJ's story is, yes, it's extreme, but please do not look at, hear that story with any kind of self-righteousness because that's your heart and that is mine. And we fiercely try to protect ourselves by creating this persona. Listen, Paul had the perfect, he had a perfect resume. And yet he wrote loss over it all if he could just have one thing and that was Christ. Friends, the power of his love is enough to take your credits and to help you see that if those things are standing in the way of you trusting in Jesus alone, they are your greatest liabilities. And what seems to you to be so weak, the death of a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth of all places who rose again from the dead three days later, that, as foolish as it seems to the world, that is your greatest credit. Oh, the power of his love. Do you see it? When you see that power, when you see the power of his love, you begin to recognize the fruits of that power, which takes us to our second point. The fruits of our power. Verse 10 says, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and that I may share in his suffering and becoming like him in his death. Listen, Paul says the fruit of the power of the resurrection is that I may know him. Like, you can know God. You can know the same one who flung the stars into space and numbers them each by name. He knows you. And you can know him if you would be so bold and courageous as to believe it. Do you? Do you? Like, I don't mean do you, do you believe because your parents believe. Do you, children? Do you believe? Paul says in verse 9, because I have been found in him. Notice the language is in the passive tense. I'm found in him. In other words, Jesus cracked open my heart to believe in him. I didn't choose him. I was running after all these credits that I thought were actually credits. I was running after all these good things of the world. And Jesus 
presented to my affection something so beautiful, so incredible, his righteousness and his glory and his forgiveness for me that I could not help it but run to him in faith. He found me. Has he found you? He's using the tonation and the language that you're hearing through my voice right now through the preaching of the gospel to call you to faith. Would you believe it? It is the offensive nature of the gospel to be found. We want to go find him. You can't. You're too busy trying to figure out your credits. He's got to show you that your credits are liabilities and then you're prepared to be in him. How does that happen? It happens when the resurrection pierces your self-righteousness and it leads you to repentance. The New York Times just this very morning has an article in there. It says the article is called God is the question, not the answer. And the substance of the article is not that important for this conversation. But the comments are, because the comments, when I read them early this morning, there were 53 of them. I don't know how many there are right now. But every one of those comments were sneers. They were sneers about whether you're an atheist or you're a Christian. They were sneers. And they were saying, listen, how can people like, how can they believe, possibly believe in God? And the sneers also went the other way, by the way. They also said, well, how can you claim to be an atheist? How can you possibly know all there is to know about everything and know that God isn't there? And it was trying to hold like this, this very appropriate, politically appropriate middle ground to say, you know, let's just be agnostic. Like, we don't really know. All of the arguments in the comments were sneers because that's exactly what usually happens for people who reject their resurrection. They don't say, there are five reasons why I reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They say, <laughs> Like, you go to church, like, besides Easter? Like, you believe, you really believe the stuff? Like, those aren't arguments, those are sneers. And what happens when you begin to sneer about everything? You begin to explain explanation itself away. C.S. Lewis says it much better. C.S. Lewis says, that you cannot go on explaining away forever. You will find that you will have explained explanation itself away. You cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or the garden beyond is opaque. How if you saw through the garden too? It is of no use trying to see through first principles. If you see through everything, then everything becomes transparent for you. But the holy, a holy transparent world is an invisible world. And to see through all things is the same as not to see. Paul was confronted through the lens of the resurrection to the reality that his credits were actually his greatest liabilities. Do you know how he saw it? Look with me what the text says. It says in verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and then that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You may know the Lord Jesus Christ. You may know God personally. And you know what else? You will share in his sufferings. C.S. Lewis said again, talk to me about the truth of religion and I'll listen gladly, but talk to me about the duty of religion and I'll listen submissively. But don't come talking to me about the consolations of religion. I shall suspect that you do not have a clue. 
Because being a Christian does not make your life easier. Indeed, sometimes it makes it much harder. Because it's hard when you recognize that all the things you once held as your credits are now your greatest liabilities. That's hard. And when you live in the midst of a world that is devastated by the fall of mankind, when you see that the fall has tilted the whole earth on its moral axis and everything, therefore, is affected by the fall, cancer, drug addiction, wayward children, sin in your own heart, like you experience the suffering of the world. And as Christians, we don't ignore it like many people choose to do, nor do we court it like many people choose to do. But we should expect it because it is normal for the Christian life. All throughout Scripture, we find the expectation of our suffering. Job, after months of suffering, finally says to God, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now through my suffering my eye sees you. He'd been a godly and upright man, pleasing to God, but he knew the difference between knowing about God and actually knowing him was found through his suffering. Or think about what Jeremiah says, sitting outside of Jerusalem, lamenting the whole book of Lamentations, his blessed city fall. Or think about Habakkuk at the very end of his book, the Old Testament prophet, who said that though the fig tree withers and there be no fruit on the vines and the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food and the sheep, all of my sheep are cut off from the fold and all of my cattle will be gone from the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord because all of my credits are as loss. I will rejoice in the Lord because he's the God of my salvation. Oh, friends, the good news of the resurrection is that the power of his love reverses the principles of accounting and all of your greatest liabilities, become, all of your greatest credits that you once thought were credits to you before God become your greatest liabilities. And there's only one credit for your account and that is Jesus and him alone. Do you believe this? That is the good news. But notice it says you will share in his sufferings. Your sufferings are not your own. You do not suffer alone. You ever notice when Jesus went to funerals, people sometimes will say to me, and they've probably said this to you, when people are in their last days and you have these precious moments with believers whose faith or whose health rather is failing fast, they will say something to me like, when you do my funeral, please don't let it be a sad one. And I always, I always say to them, um, it's going to be sad. It's going to be sad. But you ever, you ever notice in the New Testament, Jesus never preached a funeral sermon? Because he broke in to the funeral and he showed up and he brought resurrection. He shows up and he brings the resurrection to Lazarus. He raises up people from the dead. And you know what? At your funeral, that's going to be sad. But Jesus is going to show up. And he one day will raise you to life, to life as well. And it's going to be beautiful. Because you share in his sufferings. Because he suffered for you on that cross. The good news of the resurrection is that your suffering won't last forever because Jesus endured suffering, the worst suffering humanity has ever experienced. He knows what it's like to suffer just as you're suffering right now. He knows what it's like. 
He's been tempted as we are in every way, yet without sin. And yet he conquered suffering, hell, and death. And he rose again from the dead to be able to say, gain in me. Do you know the power of his love? And do you know that the fruit of that power bursts forth in your heart and repentance from all those things that you once held up as your resume of righteousness and you write loss. And you take this ledger with only one thing in it, Jesus' righteousness for me, and you write gain. And the resurrection is the proof of his love. Becoming like him in his death, Paul says, that by any means possible, I may share in his sufferings. The power of his love and the fruit of his power. The gospel gives meaning to our lives. It gives meaning to our sufferings. And it shows us the hope available to humanity. And Christ's resurrection, friends, is all the light we cannot see. But this morning you have the invitation to see it, do you? Do you know his love? Oh, the resurrection is good news. Gain Christ till you lose everything else. He is worth it. Do you believe this? Amen.